Hey everyone, this is Marcia Daniel with the University of Washington's Center for Leadership and Athletics. On today's Ambitious Coaching Podcast, we connected with Dan Taylor, who's the varsity girls basketball coach at King's School. Dan has been coaching since 1998. He took his girls team to the state title in 2015 and has an impressive collection of Coach of the Year awards. Dan serves on a number of diversity, equity, and inclusion committees in Washington State, and he joined us to talk about culturally engaging coaching. We started by Dan sharing a story about one of his athletes whose wedding he officiated last summer. You mentioned our state championship, which she was on that team. However, I told her that one of my most memorable coaching experiences was doing her wedding, even more so than the state championship. It was this past July, which is you know, a couple months after all that's gone down as far as race and culture issues and such. And it was a blessing because her husband is a police officer. So to have a black man, myself, you know, I'm black and Korean, to officiate a wedding um, of a white cop is not the narrative that you always see, right, or hear about. And it was such a huge blessing to be a part of their uh, wonderful event. The thing that stood out to me about that weekend was at the rehearsal dinner, she said, coach, you're the only one in my high school experience that was able to talk to me about justice issues, talk to our team about justice issues. I never heard about them. And you brought up some key things at different times that related to the experience of people of different uh, backgrounds, people that are on the margins, uh, people of color that that um, have had struggles in our society, women struggles as well. And she had said that no one else had done that. And she remembered all those talks that we had, even more so than the plays that we ran and everything. Uh, But that was such a blessed experience. And I know that um, she and her husband are super adamant about being involved in learning more and growing more and um, teaching their own children and their own um, family members about the things that we should be a part of the change that we should be a part of. I asked Dan about the racial and social awakening that's occurred throughout this last year and what it's meant to him and his teams. We also talked about leading and coaching through an era of societal polarization and cancel culture. We're in a moment in a movement. And I feel like we're in a point where we need to really be intentional about having courageous conversations, civil discourse, which are buzzwords when it comes to having these true, real, intentional conversations that will help us to learn and grow you know just like in a a coaching setting or a athletic setting where we want to make each other better and and allow each other to become a better version of ourselves i believe that this is a great opportunity to to listen to learn and yes we're not going to always agree we're always going to find something that we can have a different opinion about or maybe have a different perspective on um something you know an issue or a situation But I think that if we can just take a step back and say, hey, what can I learn from my friend? What can I learn from my teammate? And if we treated everybody like teammates, like we do in our own um, athletic settings, and then we'll have a a way better opportunity for both people to mutually grow, not only in relationship, but also in whatever we can bless each other with. You know, I think um, one of the things that I love um, that is talked about by... uh, uh, a pastor and a justice activist named Miles McPherson down in San Diego. He talks about having in-groups and out-groups. And one of the things that I love about his um, description is that when we have people in our in-group, if there's something that we disagree on or we don't 
like those in our in-groups, because we have such a strong relationship with, we're, it's easy for us to give them grace and forgiveness. It's easy for us to be humble enough to listen and learn. We may not be convinced. We may not agree with them still, but we're, we, can, we take a step back and I'll allow that opportunity to happen. But people in our out-groups, maybe people that are different backgrounds, different races, different socioeconomic status, uh, different cultures, you name it, we tend to not hear them out. We tend to counsel them before we even have a chance to listen to them. And I think that if we take that opportunity to reach out and say, hey, you have something to offer, can I hear about it? And then make that decision, right? And then make that decision. It reminds me of like guys and gals that are opponents of each other on that athletic field. During the game, they might be at odds, but after the game or to the side, they help each other grow in certain ways. They push each other to get better and to be the best version of themselves. You know, I think of Magic Johnson wouldn't be as good as Michael Jordan, right? Um, if it wasn't for one or the other, or Larry Bird, or Sue Bird wouldn't be as phenomenal if there wasn't a Maya Moore. You know what I'm saying? And so there's always somebody that will push us, even though they may be on the other side at certain points in our life. But then there's times where we can take a step back and say, hey, how can we learn and grow and make each other better in these opportunities? And so I think um, we have to create those opportunities to talk more, uh, to, to seek relationship, to have a collective effort of growth and unity. If we all treated each other like brothers and sisters, like teammates, we're going to find more unity than we're going to find divisiveness. So I, I think that cancel culture mentality is so harmful and can cause a lot of pain and trauma. And I think if we go into every relationship or every conversation with an opportunity for healing and for unity, we're going to see so much more progress. Well, Dan, you've said that as coaches, everything that we say matters, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that our language can really have an impact on the people around us. So completely agree with you. And at the same time, I want to recognize that that can feel really intimidating. Um, it's like we can't afford to make mistakes. So I have two parts to this question. The first part is when you're thinking about culturally engaging coaching, how would you describe your language filter? Like if you want every single person in that room, like who are coming from a lot of different backgrounds, different cultures, different identities, how do you, like what kind of filter do you put your language through to ensure that everyone in that space will feel welcome? A couple of guiding principles I have to shape my language or to filter my language, um, or I encourage other coaches to do so is, number one, would it be appropriate to say in this setting? Would I say it in a classroom? Would I say it in a meeting? Would I say it in my grandma's living room, right? In front of my grandma, you know? Um, would, I, would, it, would I say it in any space that I'm a part of, right? The second thing is, who's at the table, right? Who's at the table and who is not? Like, um, am I saying this? Even though guys are not around, even though girls are not around, even though um, people of different sexuality is not around, even people that um, are poor or not around is the message that I'm saying or the language I'm using, is it still detrimental? Because if they were around, would I still say it, right? Is what I do and say serving only me? Is it serving only me because it's easy, it's comfortable? I think sometimes we, we carry on traditions because it's easy and comfortable or this is what we always do, but we, we need to really move on from that. Um, what actions or words that I communicate serve my student athletes? Like, are they actually serving my student athletes? Are they serving my coaches? Um, or are they taking away their energy, um, producing traumatic experiences? Are, 
are are their amygdalas being hijacked because they don't feel safe in the space because of the language that I'm using. Um, if I if, if I say this, whatever it may be, am I okay with the response that I get from it, whether negative or positive, right? If I say this term or if I do this action, because I've seen people do certain signs and signals even in sports, whether it's baseball or football or even basketball, if I do it, would I be okay with a parent coming at me or my AD coming at me um, or, or even an athlete coming at me and saying, hey, I don't, I, don't, I don't really like that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, am I able to uh, de-escalate the situation too and communicate growth and learning if I do do, do something you know, that may be detrimental? Because so I know that's that my, okay. That's and that's my next question. So mm-hmm. before you launch into that, because I'm really curious right. about this, because we know okay. So again, we're we're human. We're going to make mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. So when we misstep, and I say when, because again, like we can't be perfect. We're gonna we're gonna make mistakes from time to time, even coaches. So when we reflect and we recognize that we we have said or done something that was culturally insensitive, or that even just hit someone the wrong way, how do we ensure repair? You know, one of the things that Generation Z appreciates, and I'm not going to say this categorically, but one of the things that I've been learning from several researchers about generational, Generation Z on relating to adults is they love vulnerable adults, adults that know that they've messed up and made mistakes and learned from it, right? They love that. They don't want to hear the perfect, you've never done anything wrong type of adult because they can't. They 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 don't like to hear perfect because they some many times they don't feel like they're perfect, right? So they'll never ever be able to reach that. They want to know who's messed up and who's learned from it and who's gotten better from for it, you know. So if you watch very closely, there are some phenomenal coaches out there that will own their mistakes. I messed up. We shouldn't have been in a zone. I messed up. I shouldn't have played that person. I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. And I think that 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 actually gains way more respect from our student athletes and our assistants than anything else. You know, I think as coaches, we're, we're afraid to ask for forgiveness. We're afraid to be humble enough to say, you know what, I screwed up. I just completely messed up, you know? And so, and I've done it myself. You know, I just remember, you know, back in the day, early on in my teaching and coaching career, I used to make fun of cheerleading. I mean, I just didn't think it was a sport. And it wasn't until, um, and I had my sister, you know, and my girlfriend in high school were cheerleaders, right? And so, um, and I would make fun of them. And I kept doing that over and over. No one challenged me on it until I went to the state championship in the state of Washington. And I saw some phenomenal athletes twisting and turning and jumping. I'm not even using the right terms, right? But just phenomenal stuff that I'm like, I would never, ever think to be able to do that. You know, athletic things that I was just astounded by, right? And so... I, I even saw some at, uh, cheerleaders way after the fact and said, you know what, I think I, I, I may not have said anything to you, but I've messed up by discrediting cheerleading in so many different ways. And so right now, you wouldn't be surprised to catch me wearing a cheerleading shirt, right, supporting our cheerleaders or, or like for we really make senior night special for our senior cheerleaders, you know, and blessing them. Um, but I think one of the things that we have to first do is ask for forgiveness. And also forgive ourselves. We're going to make mistakes. I think sometimes as coaches, we, 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 we're, we're crushed when we, when we get a loss or we throw the ball away. We're so crushed and we can't pick ourselves up and move on to the next play like we challenge our players to do. I think seeking reconciliation, you know, seeking that opportunity to say, hey, Marcia, I messed up. Can you forgive me? Like, this is, this is what I did. I want to be better. 
Or if you challenge me and, you know, Dan, you shouldn't have did this. And I'm like, hey, what did I do wrong? Teach me how to grow. Teach me what to do better the next time. You know, I, I think we need to honor our athlete stories. I think we discredit them sometimes. You know, they, they come with a lot of baggage. Some with carry-ons, some with three or four duffels, right? But we have to be okay with the opportunity to say, hey, they, they have stories and they have some things that are hindering them at this time but be okay with um, showing them empathy, but also being okay with if they challenge me and say, hey, you hurt me in this because this is my narrative and you're not listening, you're not understanding, you're not seeking to relate. Um, I have to be okay with saying, you know what? I'm not, I I need to do better. Um, I think we need to ask for education and assistance. I I have so many white um, brothers and sisters that are coaches right now that are saying, Dan, like, Dan, can you help me with this? I'm like, oh, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. I don't always have the answers, but I'm like, hey, if I can help you and help you to grow or at least lean you to the direction where you can get educated on the specific situation um, where there is a misstep, then I want to be that resource. Um, but even asking our players, I think sometimes we don't think our teenagers, um, Generation Z has the answers, but they do. A lot of them do. A lot of them can tell you exactly what they need exactly what we can do to be better as coaches and exactly how we can um, help them to reach their, the, the success that they want to reach. And I think to ask for research action steps, you know, immediate change, like what are some immediate, you know, like if we can research action steps where we're like, what is the low hanging fruit right now that I can change? What am I doing in my program? Right. Am I not talking about diverse voices or diverse people in my program? You know, um, I like to have devotionals and different uh, motivational speakers um, before my my athletes before games. And I bring women of all different backgrounds, all different cultures, socioeconomic status to speak to them, you know, so that they can see different narratives. But just researching specific things that I can do right now that can really foster an encouraging and safe and community oriented environment for my student athletes. So. You know, I know I shared a lot of information, but as far as missteps go, seek forgiveness, forgive yourself, and then look for opportunities to educate and do action. Well, Dan, before I ask this next question, that you have a coach development role in your school, right? Like you're working to mentor newer coaches and, and working to develop coaches. Is that right? Well, I mentor coaches um, in my school, but also around the state. And I also have mentors myself, you know, so I'm not only thinking that I'm the guru and feeding everybody, right? And so I take the opportunity to be mentored by others. And, and, and I think it's super important to have diverse mentors. You know, I got a 75-year-old white man that, you know, has very little similar background as me. That's one of my mentors, right? But we love each other and we help each other grow in so many different ways. Relationships are the biggest thing that I help mentor coaches on, but also um, challenging coaches to engage with their communities, especially if they're working with diverse groups. Like, like I said earlier, I'm a black and Korean adult male, and I'm predominantly coaching white, affluent teenagers. I have nothing in common with them. You know what I mean? And so, uh, but I've learned so much from them and they've taught me so much and we've grown so much together and it's been such a blessing in so many different ways. And I've learned through those experiences and been able to challenge other coaches to be able to um, take those stories and those narratives that I've been a part of and be able to help them to grow in similar situations that they have been in. And so um, I do think 
accountability is huge as well. And so we as coaches have to do a better job of holding each other accountable like we challenge our players to. I mean, we have to always seek for professional development. We always have to seek for um, how do we challenge each other if we feel like a coach is doing something that's inappropriate or or or, or completely wrong, you know? Um, I know that I've even challenged some of my assistants or even fellow coaches that I know, I'm, I'm, and I say, you know what, I don't know if that's the most effective way. And I do it in a humble manner. I don't go go at it with shame, blame, or guilt. And I also ask them to do the same for me. You know, what is something that you can sharpen my iron with? You know, like, am I doing something that you know I can be a better coach? Because my athletic mentality is, if I can be better than I was yesterday, then step in and tell me. You know, tell me how I can be better. I think we as coaches don't do that enough. And also, we're not comfortable enough to receive that critique. We want to critique our athletes all day, but we don't want to critique each other, right? And so I just think that it's so important that we look for those people that will not be just yes men and yes women, but be people that will say, hey, Dan, pump your brakes. I don't know if that's effective. Hey, Dan, like, you can grow in this area. And I think that that's so, so important in this day and age of coaching because the days of the old school coach are all over. I mean, I just don't think that some of the things that I grew up on with the coaches that I had is going to fly today. So, well, how do you, how do you create that comfort? You've mentioned relationship building. If you are asking for a higher level of accountability, say from another coach, maybe they've said something offensive to a person or a group of people, and you're asking them to reflect on that. Like, how do you step into those conversations that many would find uncomfortable. And you mentioned that there can be a level of defensiveness. So like, what do you think about before and during that conversation to keep the door open so that people will keep talking? Well, first of all, like you said, if, if I don't have a relationship with that coach, then there's really not a lot of impact I'm going to have on that coach. I can say what I think should be different. I can say what I think or even if I affirm them and applaud them for something that they're doing, it's going to be way more powerful if I have a relationship with them. You know, not that we don't want to challenge coaches that we don't have a relationship. If I see something very egregious or something that's uh, so detrimental and harmful to a student athlete or a fellow coach, like I'm going to step in. Like that's just my personality. Um, however, I think that if there's, especially some of those smaller things, you know, whether it's a microaggression or Something that we're like, whoa, 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 you know, um, that's just not cool at all. If I have a great relationship with them, then they're going to be all ears. You know, if, if they feel like I love them and I'm coming at them, not because I want to attack their character, but I want to challenge their personal growth, then they're going to be all ears. I think of a story of when one of my assistants posted something on, well, I first posted something on Maya Moore and she posted a comment that oh she's so articulate right and she's probably not knowing what what that is you know like what how, what does that mean to say that to Maya Moore or to say it to a person of color right and in many ways you know um, some people may think that we're being overly sensitive about that but growing up I just remember whenever um, I talked with quote-unquote the right vernacular or great English people would say you're so articulate or you speak very good English and such you know um and and so I I called her and she was you know super humble and apologetic and everything she learned she she deleted it and I said you know I mean honestly at the end of the day like if you kept it up there like I'm not gonna cry myself to sleep or anything but at the same time I'm saying this because I want 
you and I to grow together in this because this is something that we do and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to throw the ball away. We're going to throw interceptions. We're going to miss field goals. We're going to make faults, whatever it may be. But if we can help each other to learn from that missed play so that the next play we're doing something better, we're going to be so much more better for it. And, and it was a great time. And only, I was only able to do that because I had a relationship. If I didn't, then if I talk to some random person and say, hey, you shouldn't have said that, then they're going to be like, what are you, who are you? Like, what, you know, who are you telling me? They might be okay with it. If, they're, if, if they have a very, um, you know, welcoming and receptive personality, they might say, oh, yeah, ooh, no, I'm not going to do that. But if they're one that doesn't like to be criticized at all, it's not going to go well. So, um, and that's even with coaches that are not in my program. Like, I, people, my, my, my players always say, uh, coach, you know everybody. No, it's just I know what it means to network and to build relationships because I know someday I might need that person for help. They might need me for help. And if I have a relationship with them, then it's going to be so much better for us to lean on each other. And so I'm, I always like to greet people. If I'm sitting by somebody, for me, it's awkward not to say something. So I'm, I just try to shoot the breeze with them and build a relationship. And so, um, you know, they crack up because they're like, coach, you have way more context than we do as teenagers, you know? And so, but it's not that I'm just trying to gather a bunch of friends. It's because I, I like the opportunity to build close relationships with everybody so that they can help me and allow me to grow. And if I can bless them, then I want to be available for that. I love that. Well, Dan, in closing, um, what do you feel are the most essential tools that every coach needs to be a culturally engaging coach? I think awareness. I mean, awareness of the social political context. I mean, even if you disagree with a lot that's going on, yeah, I, I come across coaches that do, right? But awareness is just learning, learning about the other side, whatever that other side may be, right? Learning the context of your student athletes. You might be coaching and teaching in a community that's not like yours, and you're not living in that community. Be a part of that community, right? Ongoing education of the issues and the needs of our student athletes is important. Um, examining current events that are relevant to them. I think sometimes we as coaches walk in the gym and we go right to practice rather, rather than checking in on our, our student athletes. Like right now, like with what's going on with our you know, Asian American uh, brothers and sisters, I think if we have Asian American brothers and sisters in our program, checking in on them. If we don't, how do we challenge our programs to be better for Asian American brothers and sisters? The willingness to sit in discomfort. We're, I mean, we asked our players to do so. Lift those weights, run those lines, do all these different things that they're not comfortable with, but we don't do it ourselves, right? We want, we want them to relate to what we want to do, but we don't always seek to relate to the concerns that they have. And I think it's important for us to take a step back and see what our student athletes need so that we can be better for them. I think proximity is key, listening to their voices um, and their narratives, being able to go to their, their cities, their towns, their communities, to be able to really um, pour into them and, and see what their narratives are all about. I think it's important for us to see how important um, their family is, their culture is. I think those that are in individualistic cultures should see what collectivist cultures look like and vice versa, right? I think so many times we think we know what our players are all about, but we really don't until we dive in, especially if we don't live in their community. I mean, why not spend a day in the, the community of our, our student athletes to really get to know them? 
Um, and then allowing space for conversations. And it doesn't take that long. It's those small nuggets, those small conversations. It's kind of like what they say about the sex talk. You know, don't have that one sex talk with your kids. Like you want to have little bite-sized ones so it's not uncomfortable and awkward to talk about them because that one is going to make it super awkward, right? And I think with justice issues, diversity, equity, inclusion issues, we really need to have bite-sized ones. Five minutes here, right? Maybe 10 minutes. Um, use different visuals. Use um, Talk about women. Talk about men. Talk about people of different backgrounds. Um, if you use video, are you always using video or quotes or language that are from certain people groups and not a diverse community of people that are in the sport that you're using. Um, so those are some of the things that I would highlight that I think that coaches can do immediately to be more engaging with the culture of our athletes. Dan, I love the way you talk about this. And I, I really appreciate what you were saying about bite-sized nuggets, you know, five minutes here, 10 minutes there, and just making this part of the culture, like it's infused into every day, every week, every month. And so, because it can be, it can be exhausting work. Like these conversations can be draining and there anything that's emotional can be draining. And so to kind of recognize that and find that balance of like the, the way to keep the door open here is to keep these conversations going bite off just a little bit each day or each week. Um, and that the most important thing is to keep the door open by making sure that people feel comfortable and they feel welcome. And I mean, I wish I could just sit in on one of your practices. I, I love the way you describe how you interact with your athletes and other coaches. And I can see why people come to you for, to ask for help or ask for guidance. Yeah. Um, some coaches will ask me like, how do I do that? Like, I don't know if I'm okay with it. I don't know if I have the skills. I think there's a lot of resources that will allow us to have those courageous conversations and those, those, those key pivotal moments, those teaching moments for our athletes. I think, like I said, if you just do it once in a blue moon, like they're going to see that as not real, as not genuine, or you're on an agenda. Like you have this big stance and you just want to make your point. But if it's this little nugget here, like the Me Too movement happened, okay? We took a time to talk about that. It was like a 10-minute conversation, but the coaches know that if they wanted to reach out to me and talk to me, I mean, the players knew that they can reach out to me. And I did have a couple of girls talk to me and say, hey, I can relate to that, right? You know, George Floyd happened. Brianna Taylor happened. You know, um, those in Atlanta. Like, anytime these events happen, you don't have to cut your whole practice. You don't have to schedule in 30 minutes of your practice plan. You could if you wanted to, if your leaders and your seniors want to do that, your, your captains or leadership team want to do that. But it's like you said, it's the small things where it's not awkward. And you don't have to even use practice time sometimes. You could even do it on road trips. You can do it waiting for the J, waiting during a JV game. You could do it, you know, waiting for your bus, uh, team dinners. You know, um, there's so many opportunities. If you're very strategic and intentional, you can have those conversations and it doesn't have to be overwhelming because I think if you dump a lot on your athletes all at once, it can be, it can create some stress um, and rare, and can be hard for everybody. And especially those um, that are on the margins or students of color in your program, they can feel like, wow, I just been put on blast. I'm like, we're on the spotlight. You know, we do have to balance it and not let it be overwhelming, but also know that our, our bottom line, our athletes need to know that we're there for them. Whether we win a championship or not, I think our, our, our athletes are going to remember what we did for them relationally more so than anything that we did for them on the field or the court. Dan Taylor serves on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committees at his school, as well as for the Washington State's Interscholastic Athletic Association and the State's Girls Basketball Coaches Association. 
Since 2007, Dan has won nine different Coach of the Year awards. He joined us after a full day of teaching just before starting practice with his girls team. To learn more about some of the things we discussed with Dan today, including relationship building and framing communication, visit our website at uwcla.uw.edu.